Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Consequence Podcast Network. Hi, this is Don McLean, and you're listening to the story behind the song American Pie on Consequence. Welcome, listeners, to the story behind the song. I'm your host, Peter Chotty of Deep Cuts Media. American Pie is widely considered to be one of the great songs of the modern music era. It's one of those rare songs and records that is woven into our country's cultural fabric, and the weaver behind this timeless classic is Don McLean, legendary singer-songwriter who just recently celebrated the song's 50th anniversary. In this month's special holiday episode, I talked to McLean about American Pie and how it came to be. Remarkably, the song's essence spilled out of him in a moment of almost divine inspiration, although its foundational journey is profoundly autobiographical surprisingly personal and literal, and travels over 10 years from that tragic date the music died. Ultimately, American Pie is a story of innocence lost and a nostalgia for earlier times. That's why we all sing to it whenever we hear it and frequently hold each other when we do. So take a listen as we dive deep into the story behind the classic song American Pie by music legend Don McLean. The music where do you begin recording industry association of america named it one of the top five songs of the century along with the likes of bing crosby's white christmas aretha franklin's respect the song was inducted into the grammy hall of fame in 2002 and it really is as influential today as it was back then You've had people covering it and influenced by it that have said that from the likes of Elvis Presley to Madonna to Tupac Shakur, which is pretty amazing. 
Uh, I'm going to clarify something. Uh, Elvis did "And I Love You So," was that one of my songs, and uh, Tupac was a big fan of Vincent. That is now that's a part of, and he actually knew my music uh, quite well. It was Vincent was played in his uh, hospital room when he was on life support, so that paints a very uh, sad picture. But he'd loved that song since he was in high school. That's another beautiful song, and. Just a very quick personal anecdote. Back in the day, and this was 2001, my wife and I were with several friends at the Mondrian Hotel late at night in um, you know, having a great time. And we, we ended the night singing American Pie, all of us together in the hotel room. And the reason why it's so memorable to us is because two days later <laughs> was September 11th, where you, you know, obviously <laughs> the... The wow. tragedy, the terrible thing, the terrorist event that happened. And we always look back at that. And that was really a moment of lost innocence in a way. That's a lovely story. And did you know that American Pie was banned from the radio after 9-11 for about a month or two? No, I didn't know that. Why? Yeah, that, that's, your, that's your government. Who knows why? Who knows how? Who knows who makes these decisions? But there was a, a list of songs from Imagine by John Lennon to so many others. I don't know who they are that get to do this kind of thing and make these kind of dictates. But uh, I think that's an interesting corollary to what you just said. That's amazing. I had never heard that before. Well, that's a fact. That's actually incredible. It's mind boggling. This song has a long history. It's like a person that has its own identity. It's had many, many different things happen to it, and it's been used in all sorts of different ways. And I'm very happy that along the way, somebody decided to call February 3rd the day the music died. So every February 3rd, Buddy Holly, my boy Buddy, and uh, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper, and the poor pilot who was in that plane get memorialized by that phrase. And the song is played all over the world. Let's get into it. American Pie was from your second album in 1971. Take us back to that moment in time where this was after your first album, a couple of years before that, Tapestry. And you were only in your mid-20s when you recorded American Pie. Where were you that you created this amazing song? When I'm asked a question like this and requires an audience listening to me to have some idea about what was going on to try to explain what it was like in 1970 because we have so much media now it doesn't seem like it's 53 years ago but it is people and things were much 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 different people dressed differently they thought about things in a different way uh, we were just beginning to try to end the vietnam war there was a tremendous amount of unrest in the streets beyond anything we have ever seen no matter how much we dislike the president nothing comes close to what it was like in 1968 69 70 71 and 72 in making my first album tapestry i made that album in berkeley california and i had a lot of grateful dead musicians those kind of cats they loved the drugs and they were hippies and they lived in marin county and they lived in and they marched for things and did things and tore it up, you know. And every day, we had guys who were gassed confronting the police just trying to get to the session. 
So this is how tapestry was made. And this is the environment that was in the world. I frequently, because I was singing professionally now from 1968, when I got out of college, I got a degree and I decided to go directly into singing. And, and that's the thing I wanted to do. And so I did. And frequently bomb scares. And there's actually a movie called American Troubadour uh, about my life and career, which is excellent. And there's a bomb scare at Columbia University, right in the middle of me singing a song called On the Amazon. Wow. And everybody kind of takes it in stride. And uh, this was a common occurrence. There was bedlam out there and really had been, I believe, sown by these assassinations that were happening in the 1960s. I mean, all the important leaders of our country were killed. Kennedy was killed. His brother, who would have been elected, was killed. Martin Luther King was killed. And I believe this carried on. I believe these were state crimes. And I believe, and everybody else was starting to believe it, but because things were so normal, nobody could really grasp the concept of the fact that this would happen to these people by, you know, lone assassins, blah, blah, blah. So we were all getting our, our, you're talking about headspace. We were all getting our heads around the fact that, you know, the government was the enemy and could not be trusted and would not end this war. And that, and we were getting madder and madder and madder and hitting the streets and a lot of blood was shed. And finally, after, I don't know, 15 years of that Vietnam thing going on and on, and all that was the testing ground for new military toys and did no good for anybody half the time when they, if you read a label in our clothes, the Vietnamese are making the clothes and they're, they took this terrible thing we did to them and just moved on. I, I mean, it's awful. And the stuff that's going on now is awful. So that was the environment those two albums were written in, you know, marches on Washington and, and, and a lot of that. I was a white boy, you know, from New Rochelle, New York. I wasn't an angry leftist or a right wing guy or anything. I was but more and more was writing songs about things that I was seeing in America, like poverty and racism and, and strangeness. Like, you know, Magdalene Lane is a story about the Los Angeles and the selling of the MGM studio uh, artifacts and, and Dorothy's shoes and what happened to Dorothy and all this stuff. So I was starting to get out there in my songwriting and I, I tried to write many different kinds of songs. On the first album, I wrote a song called And I Love You So, which is the biggest song I ever wrote in terms of being recorded by other people. And that was an effort on my part to write a song that was like the old-fashioned popular music that I heard. Now, there are only three kinds of music that I understand. Old-fashioned, early rock and roll, and folk music. And that those influences are in lots of my songs. And uh, I don't read music, and I don't write music, and... Uh, it, it all comes into my head and I hear it and I know how it has to be. By the way, just on that note, when you said, and I love you so, that great song, how lasting that song is too, is there's uh, just one pop culture reflection of that is that that was the theme song for Prince Harry's and Meghan Markle's wedding. That's true. And also uh, the great movie producer, um, Quentin Tarantino, showed up at my show a few years ago at the Saban in Beverly Hills with his fiance, and he said that And I Love You So was their song, and they were going to uh, have it played, and they had their first dance, and they did. They did. They got married in Israel, and they had their first dance. He's wow. Israeli. How about that? 
So you were telling us about the overall environment in which yeah. you lived and then your own personal reflections and headspace, uh, uh, not only in the, you know, with the first album, but then going into the studio in your second album and what spoke to you and what you were writing about, which led to one of those songs being American Pie. Yes. Well, each song that I write has a different melodic style and a different, a different verse style. <clears throat> For example, the, the, the lyric to Castles in the Air, another song that I'm known for, are of a certain lyric style. And they're nothing like the lyrics, for example, to Wonderful Baby, which is another song I'm known for. And those lyrics are nothing like American Pie or, or Vincent. So each time I, I try to do something that is completely unique, that's a very high standard, but I started that way. Nobody told me I shouldn't do it. And so that's how I did it. And when I started working on American Pie, I had this plan for the song. But if you see... The Day the Music Died, the making of Don McLean's American Pie. You can see that on Paramount Plus, and you can buy the DVP on Amazon. You will see, and I, as I saw, and I didn't even realize it, that this song, American Pie, took me 10 years to write because I was thinking about Buddy Holly all the time. His music, his tragic death. And then Kennedy was killed. My father died in there somewhere. So there was a lot of sadness and and fixation on a whole strange thing that I was trying to get a handle on, which I thought was more like America than, say, God Bless America or God Bless the USA or any song that talks about how great we are. We are great, but we also are very strange, and, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of death, and there's a lot of, of weirdness uh, in America because everybody is able to let it, let it, you know, let it loose. You know, we're not as constrained as other cultures are. Yeah. Even the British, and I love them very much, but they're not Americans. You know, Americans are wild. You know, we're wild. And uh, stuff happens, you know. So I want to try to catch that in the song. And that required a whole different way of writing. But here's the thing that I'm happy about with that song is that I wanted it to feel like it was moving forward. So when you heard the song... Each verse was moving forward and gaining momentum. It seemingly speeds up almost as each verse tells you a new series of things written in this lyric style that happened on the day the music died. So the Buddy Holly event in the, in the first part, the slow part of the song, that's the first thing that happened on the day the music died. And then as you go to the next thing, moving forward, each verse is telling you, more things and it's gaining momentum which the country actually seemed to do you know going from the sort of the staid 1950s into this tumultuous 1960s period with so much creativity and so many wonderful songs being written and my god the competition was so fierce with the Stones and dylan and beatles and so many other writers at the top of their game, you know, and here I was competing with these people and having to create all of this myself because I had to find the producer. I had to do the arrangements. I had to write the, the songs and create the album. And the albums were a function of a dozen 
songs that all had to do what it is that I wanted them to do. So you take an album like American Pie, you have Chill Tomorrow. You have some of these quieter songs like Empty Chairs, quieter songs like uh, Crossroads that is an important song on that record. And so all I did was think about this day and night. At the time I was married, that ended. Oh, I didn't have any old friends anymore. I had, you know, I'd, I'd gotten pretty famous with the first record, Tapestry. I was playing headlining college concerts and, and nightclubs. And then with the second album, I became world famous. And for about six months or a year, it was almost like Beatlemania. Um, yeah. People would faint and uh, carry on, you know. You said that this is a song that you were working on mentally almost for 10 years. But do you mm -hmm. remember the... The original Creative Spark, like where you were when well, I, either the melody that, or the first lyrics came to you? I encourage people who are interested in this show to, to see the movie The Day the Music Died, the story of Don McLean's American Pie, because it, it not only talks about it, but there's film footage from the actual time period that I'm talking about when I was a total unknown, because Pete Seeger had brought me to... to uh, the Newport Folk Festival. And I was singing with him and a bunch of other fellows on his boat, the Hudson River Sweep, which is an environmental concept that he had, it's still going, and has done a great deal of good in that area. But there was the film footage. They they filmed me at Newport. I didn't know it existed, but it's like starting with me in 1969, which is the year after I got out of college. And following me through that whole first 10 years until going backwards, I should say, and then getting up to that, the end of that 10-year period, 68, 69, 70, and 71 is when the song got written. Now, the thing that happened, one of the things is that the Everly Brothers, who were absolutely my favorite, they were right up there with Buddy Holly and Elvis Presley and everybody, and the folk acts that I liked. They starred at the Newport Folk Festival in 1969 in the summer. And Seeger was, of course, a, a founding member of the whole thing. So he brought us along. So we were, we got a chance to sing there. But I got a chance to see these guys. And, you know, they were a hot Nashville rock and roll act that was sharp. They had Larry London on the drums. And they had a great trio of cats behind them. And that they were they blew the socks off all those folkies, you know, who are used to hearing stuff out of tune. Right. You know, and, and slow and the wrong tempo and all of that stuff. Uh, these guys had one hit after another, sang for an hour and blew their roof apart. And um, mm. I remember that. And so I walked up to them. I introduced myself meekly, you know, because I knew they had didn't want to hear from me. <laughs> but I had talked to um, Phil Everly, who seemed more approachable than his brother. And I said, you know, I, uh, I know that you were close to Buddy Holly because I had done a lot of research and you couldn't find out anything about anybody back in the 1960s. That's another thing. One thing on that, I just want to mention that when Don mentions Buddy Holly and Richie Valens and JP, the big bopper Richardson, they all died in a terrible plane crash together in, I think it was 1959. Yeah, February 3rd, 1959 outside of Clear Lake, Iowa. Uh, and also there's a wonderful hour on, on YouTube of Dion DiMucci, Dion the Belmont. He was on that tour. And he talks about it after being on it and how awful it was. And then afterwards, after they all got killed, they continued on with the tour. Yeah. And 
you know, and they had like the big bopper's hat and Buddy's guitar and all these things were still on the bus. And these guys are all dead now. It's brilliant the way he described it, though. I, I really think if you're interested in this, you should find Dion Winter Dance Tour and you'll find him talking about it for an hour. So anyway, I walked up to Phil and I said, yeah, I know that you loved Buddy Holly. He was a friend of yours. And he said, yes, he was. You know, now this is 10 years only after the event. So okay, 69, this is 59. So I said, well, what happened? You know, I just like a, a kid would ask a question like that. Yeah. And he said, well, Buddy had to do his laundry, he said. And I said, what did you just say? He said, Buddy, Buddy had to do his laundry. He had all this laundry piled up and it was, he needed to get it washed. And so he decided to grab a plane and get out ahead of the tour and get a few hours where he could go do laundry. And of course, he was on stage that night because it was every single night. There were no days off. So all he was getting by taking that plane was about, you know, four hours extra time. Wow. And he had to do laundry. He didn't even get a chance to sleep. So that, I went back and, I, and all of a sudden, my little brain is spinning. I'm really spinning like crazy with this yeah. information. A year goes by, because I'm really just not in any hurry to do this. And more and more little pieces are in my head. And the Tapestry album comes out, and it's a big success, really. It didn't have hits on it, but I got on the charts, and I was a new face around, and all the underground disc jockeys played that album all day long, man, everywhere. WMMR, Philadelphia, and PLJ, and all these places around the country. So all of a sudden, I was in this little house that I rented. I was in my little room with my little tape recorder, and it's all on the, in the movie. You can actually be there. Wow. And I turned the tape recorder on, and I started singing a long, long time ago. I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. And I knew if I had the whole thing came out in one shot, all that thinking had been gestating and in my mind and this whole, and then the day, the music died. And I said to myself, holy shit, what is that? You know, it's like a genie came out of a bottle. I said, my God, I've got something. I've, I've expressed what it is I felt so long. I said it and I said it with a beautiful melody and it's right there. Now, what do I do? This all just flowed out of you, the, that lyric and the melody. Yeah, only that part just flowed out of me. Just that first slow portion of the song came in one shot into the tape recorder. Incredible. That's what happened. And then I said to myself, well, now what do I do? You know, because I could have written a second verse uh, in slower time, like that first one, if I'd wanted to, I said, I got enough slow songs on this record. I want a rock and roll song and I've got to do it. So about three months later, I came up with this crazy chorus, the bye-bye Miss American Pie, drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. And I came up with this thing. I was singing it to myself and going nuts. <laughs> I think now the slow part, and now I'm, I'm, I'm blasting away on the guitar and singing this chorus. Now I figure now what I'll do is I'll take the slow melody and speed it up. And now I've got to tell my story, but now I have a vehicle melodically to do that. So what is my story? And that started to materialize. I began to think of music influencing politics and politics influencing music because this was at the epicenter of everything that had been going on in the 60s. All the new music was coming out. And all these assassinations and all this anti-government and 
properly anti-government sentiment because there's so many criminal things they were doing on every level. And at the same time, these songs were being written, these new artists were coming on the scene and writing powerful music, man, that does not background music for some kind of a display or show with a lot of uh, all kinds of balloons and all that stuff. No, this was all about lyrics, ideas, and powerful melodies. And it was all coming. And so I figured that I wanted to, the concept would be that music would influence the politics. The politics influenced the music and it all worked moving forward through this 10 years. So I say for 10 years, we've been on our own. That's my 10 years. This is a very personal song. It's a song about me as much as it, as it is about anything. But I'm saying since my father died and since these things happened in 1959 and 60 and 61, for 10 years, I've been on my own. And then I start building this thing from high school. And, you know, I saw you dancing in the gym, all this stuff. And then forward, and then you're into the war stuff, and you're into the marching band. And then finally, you're into the last verse where it's an apocalyptic verse where a generation lost in space with no time left to start again. And every night when I sing that song and I see fans that have been my fans forever, and they can never start again, we can never start over. And you only get one chance at this. And so you have to do, you know, with your life, what it is that you're meant to do. I would say that you must believe in something. You cannot be all about science and empirical and rational thinking. You have to be able to believe in something. And the first thing you have to believe in is yourself. You must believe in yourself. And then from there on, you may take a leap and find God. But if you find God and you don't believe in yourself, you haven't found God because you must believe in you. And I always believed in myself. I knew what I was going to do. Nothing was going to stop me. And I did it. I don't mind talking about the song all these years later because I want people to think about their government and think about what their government does and be realistic. So believing in yourself is what I, I had going for me. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Well, let me ask you, uh, okay, so first of all, that's amazing to hear how personal this this uh, song is to you and the lyrics are to you. That's fascinating. It's about me. It's about me observing everything. It's so personal to you, yet it speaks to people in so many different ways. You mentioned the belief in yourself and then belief in something greater, but first you have to believe yeah. in yourself. Uh, yeah. is, you know, the, some of the lyrics are, do you have faith in God above? And then you, you say the three men I admire the most, the father, son, and Holy ghost. So yeah. how is spirituality in yourself? Well, I believe in, I don't believe in religion necessarily. I would, I will use religious symbolism to say that, but I, I think that what we believe in is so much bigger than religion. You know, religion is a, a, a club, you know, that you belong to. If you do all the right things, you go to the big club in the sky. You know, we don't know these things. We don't know. That's just a very human way of thinking about, about this. And it's not, it's not a human thing. It's the, uh, it's the reason why experience in life is so mysterious because we're part of this. And, uh, you can't explain it with science. You can't explain it with numbers. You can't explain it with your senses and your sensory perception. Far beyond that. And I know because I live in that world, that's how I write my song. I get input from, from something that I don't understand, but I know how to nurture and respect it. And I know how to write it down when it comes along. And <laughs> so that's, that's it, you know, but as I, I, I would say that I could just as easily be homeless now as wealthy because I, there was no backdrop for anything. What you were talking about there is, you know, this kind of mystical, inexplicable thing. You had this in your head for 10 years. And then all of a sudden in that room that you've taken us back to, it just flowed out of you. And how can you explain that? That is, that is something that is almost inexplicable. It is, and, and and I'm sure that many other, you know, very, very good artists will tell you the same thing about, about you know, what they do. It's not uncommon for people who are in the realm that we are in to, to deal with this, but I had a lot of help from people. I had a very good producer named Ed Freeman, who I discovered and who I insisted on. He was told in the movie, I insisted on Ed Freeman. Nobody wanted Ed Freeman, but I insisted on it. Um, Ed Freeman, when I met him, didn't want me. So yeah. I had to fight everybody, all right, in yeah. order to get the best out of them. 
And I knew damn well it was the guy because I just knew it. And he was. So there's so many other things that had to be negotiated and dealt with in order to come up with a hit record. So what did Ed bring to the song as you went into the studio to record it? Well, Ed chose the musicians and um, I explained exactly what I wanted. So we, we found a magnificent piano player to play the opening part. So that's what I want. He loved piano. I knew that about him. So he chose wonderful piano players. He was very good at choosing musicians. I worked with some of the cream of the crop from the 1970s on all my albums. There was Chuck Lovell, who worked for the Stones now, and different drummers, uh, you know, and great guitar players. Kenny G was on one of my records. So um, Ed was really good at this. He'd find these cats before they were known. You know, they'd be playing somewhere in some club. He'd be sniffing around the city, finding these people. And uh, so we knew we had the thing and then i i told him i wanted to blast away on my guitar and set the tone for the for the rhythm on the chorus boom we did that very there's very little out instrumentation on this record yeah and then i would i sang the chorus and two other guys and me sang the harmonies so we were there we didn't have any background singers we did it and then you know it, it was a guy named rob stoner who came from near shell so we had a little bit to talk about since we grew up in the same city and then there was another guy who was the engineer, a guy named Tom Fly. And Tom Fly, I had met seven years before at the home of a man, a guy named John Emlin in Mamaroneck, New York. And John Emlin dropped out in 1964, went to Boulder, Colorado, and formed a crazy group called Lothar and the Hand People. <laughs> and... Lothar and the Hand People made a couple of albums for Columbia. They were uh, they were uh, they were off the walls, you know. And so I met all those cats over at his house, and one of them was Tom Fly, who later became the engineer on the record. Uh, it was wild. Yeah. So there was this weird stuff happening, but the big problem was the musicians could not play the song. They, there were so many chords. There's a chord almost on every two words of that song a minor, a major, and so on and so forth. And it has to be played in the right rhythm. It's a rock and roll song, or at least it's my version of rock and roll. Mm -hmm. um, so I was in this dreadful position of going to rehearsal and hearing these really good musicians play this goddamn song wrong. And I would say, look, guys, this is not a polka, okay? <laughs> You, it's not a polka, and it was really weird how it was coming out. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We're doing the best we can with what we got here. I don't quite get it. You know, it's okay. Well, it's not my problem. So we're going on with a lot of tension. Then the day of the session comes up, and I'm thinking, well, I don't know. This thing is just going to be a mess, you know. And they say, you know, in those days, you couldn't fix stuff. I mean, you were in with audio tape. The only way you fixed anything was with a razor blade. You know, you cut something out of the tape. But you had to be prepared. Everybody had to be at their absolute best. There was no phoning it in. There was no putting a computer out and putting a guitar apart. And today, they don't make records like they made Sgt. Pepper or, or any Blonde on Blonde or any of these great albums. They were made by hand. Mm -hmm. You know, I wrote this song, American Pie, and brought it in there. And they could not play this song. I mean, it was We'd been getting along great. You know, we'd been getting nice results. Everybody was happy. And now I was coming annoyed. The piano player who was in the rehearsal 
was just not the right guy. And I, and I didn't want to say that to his face, but behind the scenes, I told Ed Freeman, this guy is not the right guy. He doesn't have a clue about what I want. And I explained what I wanted. And Ed, to his credit, found this, a great piano player named Paul Griffin. And he's not with us any longer. Unfortunately, I would love to have had him uh, be interviewed. But we walked in and here's this piano player I never met before. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I don't know. It can't be any worse than what we've been getting. So let's see. So I start, he has my guitar, my Martin guitar, D28, in his headphones. And when I start pounding on those verses, he started pounding on that piano. The groove just was right there. I think we did like 14 takes. Every one was good. And I think Ed, you know, edited a bunch of them together and... And so we, we had it and it really just lifted up off the ground, you know, with what I want. I'd say, yeah, woo, you know, but <laughs> if you hadn't found that piano player, I mean, I would have been uh, up the creek, you know, I would have been ruined. I've been a joke. Did you know that you had hot lightning in a bottle? I, I didn't know that. Um, I never had lightning, so I didn't know what it was like in a bottle or not in a bottle. I was just working on what I heard in my head, just going blind. I, I, I go by what's in my head, and I create things, and I don't really, you know, I, all I know is when they come back to me, does it capture the feeling? Have I gotten that in a bottle, the emotion? Uh, or whatever it is that I'm after. If I do that, then I'm, then I'm happy. A lot of times, you know, I'll get almost what I want or I won't quite get it because of, you know, the past costs and time constraints. I might, might have worked with something that was not as good as it could have been. I look back now, but I really did my best because I wasn't, you know, a guy who had a hundred grand to work on, a, you know, with every album. We, our, our albums were inexpensive, maybe twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, you know. Yeah. So once the album's released, what is there an immediate reaction to not only the album, but that song in particular? And did that reaction surprise you? And then also just like it's continued resonance today, does all of that surprise you or not at all? It's all been extremely otherworldly. That's all I can say to describe it. It's not from this world. Hmm. The song immediately went to number one. The cover of the album was iconic and took everybody by storm. The whole product, everything about the album was magic and still is. Yeah. And that's what happened. But American Pie is different from anything else that ever was because of the conceptual way that I wrote the song and the ability of the musicians finally to get make an, an eight and a half minute song, build and grow. And a lot of that was in the mixing, too. Ed Freeman, again, made a great record. But it grows. It goes from mono to stereo. I don't know if people don't know that or not, but it gets wider as it progresses because it's supposedly moving forward. So it's a whole different thing. We just got lucky, and it, and it, and it happened. They knew, because nobody could ever follow this, that I couldn't follow it. So I was immediately vilified, you know, and kicked around for a while by the stupid reviewers that don't know shit. <laughs> and then a few more albums came out and good stuff started happening. I had more hit and I suddenly had overcome that. But that was a large thing to overcome. The backlash from the song and the meanness out there bored me for a while, which annoyed me. But, you know, I'm very strong. I'm very determined. I, I will not be stopped or defeated. Well, and, and also, Don, obviously that this is now over 50 years later since the song was born in 60 from your mind, actually. And yeah, 
yes, there are songs that live on, but this song's resonance is special. It's not a normal song. That's yep. why. <laughs> and it, and we luckily were able to make a hit record of it. And so therefore, I was able to deliver this rather abnormal thing from this abnormal person to a number one slot. And, 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 and it, all of a sudden, whatever it was meant to do, it did. And on many levels, and it's been doing it ever since. So there's really no other song like that because there just isn't anybody that writes songs the way I do. I only do one at a time. So I would never do a sequel or a follow-up or something like that because it's perfect. And I am a perfectionist. And I and it's one of the things that drives people crazy about me is that, you know, I'm never happy with, you know, anything that I do. You know, I'm pretty happy or, you know, I'm glad. I like seeing my bank account grow. That does me a world of good because I feel <laughs> like I'm a, I have a little war chest against all the jerks that are out there. You know? Did you write the book? You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at American pie itself, the words American pie, how did those two words come together in your mind? That's an interesting thing because one of the things that I love to do is to see titles in print. Titles are very important. My name uh, was very important to me. I didn't want anybody using the name Don McLean, even when I was an unknown in the 60s. I knew that was a great name and I could see it in print and it jumped out. And I said, I have a really good name. I don't have to change it, but I don't want to make sure nobody else uses it. So I was a little nervous about that. So when I wrote the album Tapestry, that word was perfect. And the same with American pie. I said, it's not apple pie. And it's not as American as apple pie. It's American pie. And so I had this thing and I would look at it in print. I'd say, God, that looks great. You know, it's just, yeah. and so once you put those two words together and I trademarked those two words, I have five trademarks, Sorry, Sorry Night, The Day the Music Died, Bye Bye, Miss American Pie, American Pie, and Don McLean are all trademarks. So, but I was going to make sure nobody took my name. <laughs> so I did that, and then they did the others. But that paid off when they made those movies. They had to pay me a lot of money, you know, uh, they still do. Uh, it comes out, I get paid every time. But you can't do that now, apparently. So I was lucky to do that. It was back in 80, 1986 that I did that. A smart, but, not only um, not only a brilliant artist, but a very smart and astute business person. 
Well, I had help. You know, people would give me suggestions. Yeah, why don't you uh, trademark that? And I'd say, really? What's that going to cost? You know? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Go, well, not too much. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'll do it. But then the thing is, is you have to defend that mark, you know, and you have to show that you're using that mark in the various classifications that you uh, filed it. So I had to produce merchandise that showed I used it and I'm still doing that. We have a lot of merchandise now, so that's easy. Yeah. And then when they come and they try to take it from you, like they will do, they go they have a whole dossier of things that you didn't defend. Like there was a porn movie called American Pie, and I didn't take them to court. I fought off most of it. Yep. And it was pretty pretty easy. And now after the movie came out, every at the end of every movie it says that it's a trademark owned by Don McLean, and nobody has touched it since. So, yeah, yeah, I bet. When uh, it all came out of you, just when you were in that room, that the melody yeah. and those lyrics. So at that time, it just spontaneously came out, Bye Bye Miss American Pie. Very no, I, no, actually, the Bye Bye Miss American Pie was three months later. The only thing that came out of me then was a long, long time ago, right through the day the music died. Okay. That whole slow section. But then I had to come up with a chorus, and that was like three months later that I did that. I, I came see. up with this really catchy chorus and I said, wow, I got it now. And now I got to do this figure out how am I going to make this thing rock? One day, like three months after that, in Philadelphia somewhere, and I came up with five more verses, scribbled all in those pages that they sold for $1.2 million. And I, I knew what I wanted to do. I was heading forward. I knew exactly what I was Boom, I was just writing this stuff. And I'd write a side bar and I'd try Two other verses, oh, that's stupid, I don't want that. Then they get back, you know, it's very fast. And then, so then I would take, and I would write them in the exact same meter and style as the first slow verse, but now I would speed the whole thing up. So the four middle verses are the front part of the song sped up. And then the last verse is the first part all over again with the, you know, a final verse. So six verses. Right, right, right. You were talking about the tumultuous times back in the late six in the sixties and transitioning into the seventies, but that it's a kind of this reflection about all this tumult that was happening at the time. And obviously these are tumultuous times. And so maybe there's special resonance once again in your mind mm -hmm. about the song. Well, I don't think they've started to be tumultuous yet. Mm. I think there's bubbling under right now. And this Trump thing, how it plays out. There's going to be a, a lot of people who are going to be, they're going to be a little restless. We'll see what happens. I don't know. I, I don't think we have anything like the way it was in the 1960s and early 70s. It was every day riots setting. They, they set the whole damn city of Detroit on fire. Yeah. no. This is no fooling around, man. This is serious craziness. And it was, it was the country was coming unglued. And I sincerely believe that the assassination of John F. Kennedy was the beginning of our undoing. And it just ruined us. You know, it was worse than 9-11. It was worse than anything. It shattered the nation. And it stayed shattered ever since. We are not psychologically the strong country that we were before the Kennedy assassination. We knew who we were. We believed in the things. Everything we did was number one. Our colleges, our athletes, everything. Companies, you name it. And little by little... We've lost our way, and there's certainly some of that in American pie. Yeah, innocence lost for sure. Well, listen, Don, um, I really appreciate the journey that you took us through and uh, this amazing song and your life 
And just to remind everybody, American Pie just recently celebrated its 50th anniversary and a documentary that everybody should see. The Day the Music Died, the story of Don McLean's American Pie. It's streaming on Paramount+, Plus, so you should check that out. And then Don also has just a, a new remastered, remixed Christmas album that he had recorded uh, a couple decades ago. Uh-huh. Yep. And so, Don, listen, I really appreciate it. It was really great to hear from a true artist and taking us through that entire journey. Well, I enjoyed talking to you. That was Don McLean sharing his story behind the quintessentially American song, American Pie, which just recently turned 50. I'm your host, Peter Chotty. You can follow me on Twitter at P Chotty. That's P as in Peter, C as in cat, S like Sam, A, T, H like Harry, Y like yellow, and at deepcutsmedia.biz. For more of the story behind the song, make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tune in on the third Monday of every month for new episodes. Make sure you're also following the Consequence Podcast Network to keep up to date with all our series at consequence.net forward slash consequence dash podcast dash network. And as always, thanks for listening to the story behind the song. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.